disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. Now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to them the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands. Another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved follow, following, uh, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who betrayed you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren, This disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. So we have all the events of chapter 21 happening at breakfast. While we often think of Easter morning as a time to eat together, we find that actually it was some time later that they had a breakfast together with our Lord. It was one that he supplied for them in one of either two ways, either by the provision of directing them how to catch those fish, but we also find that as they arrived to the shore that there were already fish and bread on a hot coal fire being prepared for them. And certainly Jesus does instruct them to come and bring the fish that they had caught, whether to add to that, uh, to supplement that, or to complete the meal. But all of this, this entire conversation, including the conversation with Peter, and with regards to John, all happened after the meal. It was all in that setting. And in fact, if we are careful students of God's Word, what you will find is some of the most significant events of God's Word happen around meals. And in, from Genesis to Revelation, from the very first chapters of their Bible to the very last chapters of your Bible, what you put in your mouth matters. It is acts of worship throughout. We've studied this before, but here I want to take, as we come to something like this, where everything is centered around a breakfast meal together between Jesus' disciples. That as they eat and converse, as they have time to spend with Jesus Christ, and consume this food together, they have an opportunity to renew intimacy and fellowship with the one who they've only seen twice before. Now, on one of those occasions was also a meal. Because Luke tells us that when Jesus first appeared to them in that room, that there was bread on the table. And so to prove that he wasn't a ghost, Jesus ate with them. He took bread and drink that occasion as well. And so now two out of the three occasions 
uh, we have that he has appeared to them uh, here in John. We know that there was food involved. On the road to Emmaus, the men did, weren't allowed to recognize Jesus Christ until they sat down to eat with him. And at the breaking of bread, they recognized who he was. That's how important the mealtime is together. It's a time of intimacy. So if you go back to the Garden of Eden, what was the first command that Adam and Eve broke? It was what they ate. When you go to the end of Revelation, what is it that it describes the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem particularly, is that you will have a river of life to drink from and trees of life that produce fruit once a month that you will eat from, the tree of life. And thus, from beginning to end in God's word and all throughout it, this time together of eating is precious in the sight of God. Every covenant of God was established or commemorated through a feast. That was with Noah after the flood. That was with Abraham. Abram had a meal together. Uh, we have Passover as a celebration of God's keeping of his covenant promise in, in the deliverance of Israel from the Egypt, from the slavery to freedom. As you go through God's word, almost every occasion God meets with men, there is food involved. And we have somehow divorced that from our thinking because we have secularized our eating. That somehow eating isn't really worship. But the Bible makes it very clear that even when the Lord instituted the Lord's table, communion, it was at the end of a meal that he did that. They'd already had a full meal together, and now they're going to do this. We see in the New Testament in the early church that they met, and they had love feasts together. That was standard custom. It wasn't occasional. It was standard. Part of their worship was to eat together. And you might ask, well, why? Why is eating together so important? And I'm going to just pause here for a few minutes. There's some fish from the Sea of Galilee. If you're wondering what kind of fish they typically eat, it's, it's uh, tilapia. comes out of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, that's what it looks like. And this is the kind of boat they used. This is called the Jesus boat. That When there's a drought, they found this and is now preserved there. That's about the size that it would have been. I'm going to give one more just because <laughs> this is how you eat tilapia at the shore of Galilee. In case you're wondering, that's how you do that. Okay. All of these pictures, by the way, are from the Sea of Galilee. So around and about its shores, and early on you saw the sun rises. And so that's what these are. So this is a precious time that we have disassociated. In fact, many other faiths that eat even less often together than Baptists have always made fun of Baptists for having potluck suppers. Um, anywhere you go, you will find them making fun of Baptists for that. Oh, Baptists, they can't get together without eating. Um, well, maybe that's because we're more biblical. And certainly from God's word, we find the necessity of it, that we worship through and uh, and with our consumption of sustenance. And as we consume that which sustains our physical body, what is it that is associated with, with our spiritual selves, sustaining it? It's spiritual food. It is referenced throughout the New Testament 
that whether it be milk, the milk of the word, uh, whether it be solid food, that is strong doctrine, that, and everything in between, that this is how we nourish ourselves spiritually, is through spiritual food, in addition to as we nourish ourselves physically through physical food. And certainly, we need a good diet, a regular diet, right? We need a regular diet. I don't know how many of you eat only once a week for three hours. You don't do that physically, neither should you do it spiritually. So we should have a regular diet of food. And we should have a regular diet of spiritual nourishment. We should have a varied diet. You should have fruits and vegetables. And if you didn't get any fruits and vegetables, we'll give you a moment to go up there and get some in a little bit. To make sure you get a good, varied diet. And when we look at the variety, yes, there is doctrine, there's instruction, there's there's rebuke, there's correction, there's encouragement. All these things from God's word, we need a steady diet. of. There's practicum, there's the, the practical application of God's word. There's pure theology, where we're just talking about who God is and what is he like, that we might worship him better. All of that is in God's word, this entire variety. And it is available for children through the aged. And when Jesus Christ encounters the disciples... Once again, his invitation, his question to them from the shore is, do you have any, not fish, food? Do you have any food? Is the first question that Jesus reveals of himself to his disciples that day. Do you have any food? And their answer was nothing. We've caught nothing all night. Which tells us a little bit, just to reinforce last week's message, is that they weren't really there to start their business back up. They were... They were fishing for food with the expectation of consuming it that day. And so they, he says, well, cast your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. They cast it, and uh, we have a multitude of fish. that is counted later on. It's 153 large fish. And it requires the help of Peter to drag it ashore. The men can bring it in as long as it's in the water. But once it gets to shore, Peter himself has to go help them drag the net in and to bring it to shore. And again, Jesus Christ himself says, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Bring it up here. Jesus Christ is not so concerned about their spiritual care that he doesn't also recognize their need for physical sustenance. And he associates them so strongly in this event. And that after, much like the Passover meal where we have the institution of the Lord's table, uh, we have this wonderful feast and then we have this conversation. And remember, the conversation is important to John. What has John spoken? Where was the conversation of John 14, 15, and 16 that he spent so many weeks studying? Where was it? It was after the meal. After he'd instituted the Lord's table, he shared all this intimate information with them. And then as they got up from that table to leave and go to the Mount of Olives, all along the way, he's still carrying on this conversation with them. It is in the post-meal environment that we have this intimate conversation. And now we get to the end of, chapter, of John chapter 21. Where is this intimate conversation at between Jesus and Peter and John alongside? right after the meal.
after breakfast on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And what is the question he asks Peter? We're going to talk about that much more next week. Um, he asks him, do you love me? We'll, we'll reference that, but what is the response? If you love me, what are you going to do? You're going to feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter knew how to, fill, to feed people with fish. He was a professional fisherman. He knew how to provide that sustenance to people physically, but God had called him to become a fisher of men and to feed them spiritually as well. That this is the evidence of our love for God, for Jesus Christ, is that we feed his sheep. And that begins at a very early age as we take responsibility for feeding our children, not only physically, we're all very concerned about them making sure they have a very good diet. And I see many parents very, very carefully involved in that. We find them very carefully getting that physical food for their children, right? All of you do that? You get physical food for your children? And you're always careful, and in fact... What is funny is watching brand new parents because they're going to feed their kids all the best. It's going to all have to be organic. It's going to, you know, and, and it's funny talking to them. I think they should have cloth diapers, and that lasts a week when they realize that there isn't enough cloth in all the world to diaper your child and, and still have it without a laundry machine running 24 hours a day. And so they have all these high expectations. I'm, I'm going to feed my kid perfectly. I'm going to do all these things. And then you realize that you bring them to the pastor's house and he gives them ice cream and it's all over. Because now they have a taste for that and now they only want that. We have all these expectations of nourishing our children physically, but are we that careful with nourishing them spiritually? So we're going to discuss that a lot next week when we get into the description of the necessity of feeding sheep. And so as we look through and consider the importance of these meals with Jesus Christ, as we go through his miracles, what did we see him, where did he see much of his impact? Feeding the 5,000, does that register with you? That was one of the most significant ones. That's when everyone says, we want Jesus as our king, is when he fed them from those few fish, and those loaves of bread. And so we find that here comes Peter. He's sopping wet because he swam to shore. Now I was going to have a bucket of water here so I could I make one of you Peter, and I thought that was going too far. Aren't you glad, Nathan? <laughs> no, I was going to be Mr. McKillop because you're too young. Peter was probably the oldest one, so. but he wasn't ancient like the rest of us ancient ones. So Peter comes ashore, he's sopping wet, he has swum there. Jesus Christ already has hot coals, a coal fire, and this is different than a wood fire. I want you to notice the preparations that Jesus had on the shore. This was not a surprise to him. He arrives on the shore, where, and notice there are a coal fire, We've, been in, we've already been introduced to a coal fire, and that was the one to keep people warm in the house of the high priest where Peter denied Jesus Christ. That was the last time we have found a coal fire. 
is when Peter stood there and denied Jesus Christ a few weeks earlier. Now we're around a coal fire that is given there by, put there by Jesus Christ. Peter has swum to shore, and uh, we don't really have a lot of the interchange between them as they had done that, but uh, we find that, uh, in fact, some have even contended that the others got there before him, that he might not have been such a great fish, a great swimmer, and uh, they might have gotten there before him. But uh, he had this earnestness we're going to talk about next week. And they all come to land. They saw a fire of coals there. Fish were laid on it, and there was bread. Jesus Christ had already prepared the meal for them with a significant... Now, we're talking about seven men arriving to shore who've been out fishing all night unsuccessfully. Plus, Jesus has eight. And there's sufficient food there for all of them, already prepared, already on a hot fire. And this is the invitation, Jesus says, come on to shore. Now you've got your catch for the rest of the week, several weeks, 153 fish. Uh, Come to shore. And they come to shore to be with Jesus Christ, and he has breakfast waiting for them on a coal fire. Fish laid on it. Bread ready. But he's not going to serve them yet. He tells them, go get the fish first. Bring those fish in. Lay them out. And as fishermen, they knew what to do with that. And they bring all those fish to shore. They count them out as they lay them out, uh, preparing to dry them. Most fish, if it's not freshly eaten in the Middle East, is dried. And I didn't really have, I've never had a lot of dried fish in my life until I went to the Philippines for that conference, and one of the meals was, several meals, had dried fish. And that was one of the options, and that's they sun-dry it. And so they would have laid these out, getting ready to sun-dry them, which would be their common practice, and so it's an easy thing to count them. We think the only fish we can eat is fresh fish that, you know, doesn't smell bad and needs to be cooked that manner. Uh, but most fish eaten in the Middle East is eaten dried. And so we find that they take care of the fish, they lay them out, they check their net like good fishermen, and the net's not broken anywhere, not torn, itself being noteworthy to John, uh, who also was a professional fisherman before Jesus Christ came into his life. And then, when the work is finished, even though the meal was ready, the fish was on the fire, when they came to shore. But they had to take care of the catch. And then they come, and Jesus says to them, verse 12, come and eat breakfast. And then John adds this inclusion that none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord, not because they readily recognized his face, but because of the power of the miracle they've just witnessed. Not only their catch, but also that here's a man on the shore with a meal prepared for you, and all you have to do is walk in, sit down, and eat it. He has already prepared it all. And what he has done for them physically in this event, he has also already done for them spiritually in the preparation of their salvation and all their spiritual needs and his sacrifice, his burial, his resurrection, and his soon-to-come ascension. 
So this is the account of the third time. And as he invited them to come eat, he did something I did not do this morning. He served them. See, they sat, but there was only seven of them, and there was like 40 of you. <laughs> That'll be my excuse. Notice that Jesus came, verse 13, and he took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And at this ministry of service is the core of Jesus Christ. He's going to communicate that to Peter. We're going to see that next week. But I just want to reiterate, and as we do this throughout God's Word, I've really committed myself that every time we come to a meal in God's Word, that it probably behooves us to have a meal together. To understand the nature of worship. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. That's Valerie swimming in the Sea of Galilee. She's my Peter. All right, let's go ahead and get back into God's Word, shall we? So what is it that is so important and precious about eating together? It is the same thing that is important and precious about worshiping together. There's a level of intimacy there, and... Uh, I think it is no mistake that the world doesn't want you to eat together. And I'm not just talking about the pandemic. This has been going on my entire life. Where does the world want you to eat? In front of your TV. In fact, they produced something that they came out with when I was a child called TV dinners. And you had your own little individual tray and your little bit, and you could eat in front of your TV, and they were disgusting. I don't know if it was real food. The food didn't matter. What mattered is that you were sitting in front of the TV eating, not with your family. Your fa you weren't facing each other. You weren't having contact with each other. You weren't having conversation with each other. You were engaged with what we called the idiot box. Or my dad called the boob tube. So, because it turns you into that. And so, when we talk about this, the world has been, in these modern days, tried to draw you away from even just sitting down and having a meal with people. Why? Why is this so important a time? And I would contend that you as a family in your home should be eating together and you should be inviting others to come have that time with you. And that, in the Bible, talks about hospitality. And in fact, when we talk about angels, and we, we talk about that people have entertained angels unaware, uh, re referencing Abram, who had those visitors come, and goes out and says, "Just you have to eat with me, and, and provide that hospitality to them. Uh, wasn't just a cultural thing. It's about bringing them into a relationship. That here, by sharing a meal together, we share a level of intimacy. And it's even evident, as I've, as I've watched church dinners now for decades, I know what's going on. And every now and then, I address it, and it gets people mad at me. Um, and I say, well, you're not really willing to be intimate with anyone but who you're normally intimate with. What do I mean by that? Well, over here, 
well, you know, your family sits and here's that family. All of you people can eat meals together at home. Correct? But you come into a church dinner, you eat together again. Because it's uncomfortable for you to break that intimacy around the table and share it with someone else. That's how important eating together is. You subconsciously are uncomfortable with eating with people that you don't know. Because of the nature of eating together, it is a, you say, well, that's just a basic activity of life. But it is an activity of life. And it promotes intimacy. It encourages consideration of others, encourages conversation, and you have to do disgusting things in front of other people. Right? They're going to watch it. I've seen people eat like this. What are they? They are too self-interested to be open and honest. Yes, you open your mouth and you chew. And I was taught how to chew properly. By not, you know, and food flying everywhere. Because we understand that now I am in a social setting and I have an opportunity and we're engaging one another on an intimate level. And this is something that glorifies God. He wants an intimate relationship with his people. Jesus Christ wanted an intimate relationship with his disciples. So what does he do? He eats with them. Come on to shore. I've got breakfast waiting for you. Let's sit down and have a meal together. And now we can, having reestablished the intimacy between us, we can now have some really important conversation. The conversation wasn't during the meal. It was after. You see, the meal itself was just there to bring us together, to restore intimacy. It is just to say, we're sitting at the same table, and when you come to my house and you sit at my table, I take that very seriously. It's a big deal. When you invite me to your house and you ask me to sit at your table, I take that very seriously. It is precious. It is a time of worship. It is a time of intimacy. And we ought to be doing it toward one another. And I don't care what the governor says. Because this is part and precious in worship. And so the meal itself gives us an opportunity to have intimacy with one another. And then following that meal... And we start to realize, well, the meal isn't really just about eating, is it? It's about engaging one another. And my children often commented that there's a lot of times that our meals times last even up to an hour. Because it's not just about consuming food. You can do that in 10 minutes. But that's not what meal time is for. If that's all it was for, then you could just stay in the kitchen and eat. You don't even have to sit down together. But we have, once we've established this intimate activity we've done together, now we can sit and have conversation with one another, and that's exactly what Jesus does. He did it at Passover. He's doing it at breakfast now. And tomorrow, next, tomorrow, next, I wish it was tomorrow. Next week, we'll see where that conversation takes us into some very important things. But we studied John 14, 15, and 16, which was that conversation that was so intimate with his 11 that followed that Passover meal. And we need to recognize what that does for us. 
And why is it important that we exercise hospitality to one another? Why is it important that we have church dinners together and that we intermingle with one another? It's okay. You can do it. You can eat with someone that you don't know very well. Maybe you've never eaten with before. You don't have to eat with your family. You do that at home. Eat with your bigger family, your church family. To develop intimacy. And then once that intimacy is established, now we can have serious conversation. Now that's on a physical plane and a social plane, okay? I want to take that to the spiritual plane because that's what Jesus does all the time. We gather together as a people, and I teach you. You come to Sunday school, and you are taught stuff. Um, and this, right now, Mr. Roberts for the adults. Um, my wife, uh, Mrs. Roberts, is you, you're one of the, uh, are for the children, and myself. I got the nursery, and I do teach them. Um, they can learn. They already know how to sit and sing. And they know, if I say Bible story time, they know exactly where to go. They know what to do. They can learn that. And so we have this group time, okay? But the teaching of God's Word is not the end in itself. Most of what I share on every given Sunday, you already know if you know, have been in church for any length of time, if you've read your Bibles, most of what I teach you, you've already known. But unfortunately, just like many of our meals, we eat, wash the dishes, and get on to entertainment, we do the same thing spiritually with this prepared meal. Where I've done all the preparation, I serve it to you, and you consume it, and then go on. And we don't sit down and say, let's talk about what we just heard, or let's have a conversation about something else entirely, but on the premise of a mutual intimacy. We have just spent time around God's word together. We've been fed a meal, a spiritual meal. And then we dismiss, and that's the end of church, and now we're out in the parking lot, and we're heading out because we've had other appointments, and we consider fellowship as simply just uh, having coffee together and talking about the game. Well, you can't even talk about the games anymore because there are none, hardly. Uh, and talking about the weather and, and work and things like that, and never contemplating that maybe this is... a Fellowship is really about having serious conversation about what we have just partaken of, which is the meat of the word, or the milk of the word, depending upon where we're at. And that is fellowship. Now, I'm not going to say that the other isn't. I'm saying that this is, is the pinnacle of fellowship, is when we come together and converse over spiritual matters that we have just been fed some spiritual food and now with our hearts filled with that information we can then engage in some serious conversation but it becomes one directional can you imagine jesus serving them this meal that he prepared hot coals were already there the coal fire was already there fish were already on the fire bread was already made whether he spoke it into existence or baked it is irrelevant he prepared it he presented it he served it to them and he waited for them to eat and it says after they had eaten when they had eaten breakfast now he wants some conversation in a spiritual realm after a bible study it, 
the best time is to now say, well, let's talk about this. And I remember after uh, a church at, in back in Elyria, Ohio, we went to a worship service, and after the service, there was, or maybe it was during the week, um, there was the uh, young families were having a, a, a social thing at somebody's house. And so um, if it, my wife and I went there, and we were engaged, and, and I'm over here having a conversation. The pastor happened to also be in our age group, and, and these people are wanting to ask me some questions, and I'm engaged, and we're having a theological discussion, and the pastor overheard us and said, hey, no shop talk here. I just about stood up and slapped him. This isn't shop talk. This is talk that matters. We're talking about spiritual things. We're talking about biblical principles. We're talking about theology. We're talking about these things. And this isn't just my job. This is the passion of who we are. This is how we grow in the Lord together. This is real fellowship. Not just playing silly games and talking about your favorite sports team or, your, or your, how your car runs. I don't know what women talk about. Babies and things like that. Uh, oh no, it's, let's talk about some theology. Let's talk about God's word. Let's talk about these truths that we've been fed but never get to engage in. So Jesus Christ, after they had eaten, then wants to say, let's engage in some things that didn't get discussed over the breakfast. But now that your physical needs are met, now we can relax, not worry about cleaning up because we'll just throw the fish bones into the, back into the lake um, and the bread as well, if there's any left over because the fish like to eat that too and uh, have some serious discussion that ends up with the conclusion, follow me. And talking about our future in the, in the ministry of the kingdom of God. This is what these meals on a physical and social level mean, and this is what church every Lord's Day should mean to us. This is not the end in and of itself, is to hear a sermon, to hear a Sunday school lesson. That's not the end in and of itself. That is just to give us a community intimacy spiritually so now we can engage one another on a new level. Now we have a foundation. We have this shared information, this shared spiritual experience of being taught God's word. Now what are we going to do with it? Well, I'm going to log that somewhere and then just go on with my life and jump in, you know, and, and I got this, that, and plan this afternoon. Instead of saying, well, now I have this shared thing, maybe we should sit and converse about it. I've only met one pastor that in the methodology promoted that. And that was Pastor Sarnicula. Pastor Mamon Sarnicula uh, says, okay, this is over, uh, th this part of it, now we're going to break up into discussion groups as part of the service. And you're going to have 25 minutes of discussion groups. And if you're online and you watch them, you can't have it right now. It's one of the things they miss the most. Because they can get online and they can hear a sermon, but that's like eating a TV dinner. I mean, you get some benefit from it, but it's ultimately not enough. And so 
what their people miss is getting together in these discussion groups and, and they get together and they discuss what they just heard. That takes a lot of pressure off of me. Because I've got to sit here and figure out my sermon preparation, how am I going to apply this to everybody's life? I mean, all of you are at different life points. You have different uh, experiences. You have different challenges confronting you. You have different, uh, some of you have lots of children that are, you know, hardest job on the earth is taking care of multiple preschoolers. Um, you have different needs than retired people, semi-retired people, those that uh, are in different areas. And women, men, women, singles, all of those have different needs. There's no way you can conceive that a pastor can possibly address them, but we can address them to each other. We can engage one another if we have a shared base of knowledge of God's word and experience to come off of. And so Pastor Nicola had that as part of his service. And so back when I was watching them before we got there, because they were broadcasting their entire worship service, and because I was going to be there, I wanted to know kind of what to expect and what they did. They didn't do it the week I was there. They didn't have the discussion time the week I was there. But they had a meal. And Pastor Sonicula took me around and sat me down in each little group. And he would introduce a topic and then walk away smiling. Because he knew exactly what I believed. And he knew who I was talking to. And he did this the whole time we were there, huh? And uh, he set me up big time a few times. Um, and, but he would introduce a topic. He says, oh, Pastor Kirk thinks this. I'll let him explain it to you. And he'd walk away. I don't know these people, but they're looking at me. This is our discussion time. Oh, that we would have a, a readiness to engage in discussion about spiritual matters. And maybe the sermon is, should be just more of a foundation and a, a prompt, a discussion prompt for us to engage in. Certainly we have to lay a foundation. There has to be solid teaching. There has to be truth. It's not just opinion, and it's not just us voicing our opinions to one another because that's irrelevant. That's of no use. But when we come to God's Word and we have this common fullness now in our spiritual uh, diet, and now we can engage in this, and Jesus Christ does that. I just want to encourage you that we work on a level of intimacy that Jesus Christ did with his disciples, with his followers, with the many. Uh, in fact, uh, we're going to talk about next week, about, or probably in two weeks, with the ascension, in uh, reference to uh, the, you know, at some point he appeared to five, over 500 of the brethren at one, one time. He wanted that intimacy. He would eat with people. He would sit down and engage with them and involve himself with them. And what, that's what he was known for. Right? What was the complaint against him? He eats with sinners. He eats with publicans and sinners. What is Zacchaeus? What's the first thing Zacchaeus does when he gets down out of the tree? Jesus says, I'm going to your house to eat with you. I'm going to have an intimate relationship with you on a physical, social level, so that we can engage in some spiritual growth 
and development. And so there's a theology behind what we do when we eat together. I'm not doing it willy-nilly. It might seem like it because I just announced this last week. And if you weren't here last week, you weren't expecting this. Right, Justin? And no clue. Okay, what is going on here? Okay? And so there is, and so I call it ediblyology because you have to have a big word for every theology. So this is ediblyology, the study of edibles, of eating. Come and eat. Come and eat. This is what Jesus' invitation was to the disciples. Do you have any food? No. Come and eat. And their physical condition mirrored their spiritual condition. But he met their physical condition first. And then he says, now, with your tummies full, and I know you've been up all night fishing, but let's have some serious talk. And we're going to look into that conversation next week, particularly with one Simon Peter. But I want to challenge you. Jesus Christ desires a level of intimacy in your life. And others are trying to invade that space. And they're very successful at it. I gods invade our space when we should be in a social setting at a table, and it is the most tragic thing I see. I, I'm like, I don't know why people make a big deal not going to restaurants and not being able to sit together or something when you just sit there and look at your phones across the table from each other. It's, it's horrible. Because they are robbing you of intimacy. And the next step, now called social distancing, shouldn't surprise you at all. It's natural. You've been already socially distanced in your attention span, in your eyesight, in your activities. We walk around the streets. We don't look at people's eyes. We don't smile at them. We don't wave. This is what we do. It's how we walk around campuses. Right? How we walk around work. I, I just can't imagine how many work hours were lost just by people carrying their phones with them at work for employers. We have a world because the evil one doesn't want you to be intimate with one another. He doesn't want you to be intimate with God. He wants you to be intimate with his image. The image broadcaster. And we are called to separate ourselves from that and to take extra effort to have intimate relationships with one another, that we might minister to one another. Why is there so little ministry going on in churches? Because there's no intimacy to, found, to, to be a base for it. And we've come to the point that we don't even have an intimacy of belief anymore. It's whatever is good for you is good for you, and I'll believe what I believe, you believe what you believe, and there's no absolute truth that we can all agree to. The evil one has done his work well, and we have been largely sucked into it. And Jesus Christ comes onto the shore of the Sea of Galilee and says, come and eat. Not just physically, but also spiritually. Come and be intimate. You're way out there 
in the sea, hungry, lost, tired, weary, defeated, empty, floating out there in a little boat. Come to shore. Jesus Christ's invitation to you is come to shore. And once you're ashore, he's got this wonderful smelling food ready. And he says, come and eat. Spiritually, that's what we should be doing here. Every week. And if some of you want to stay in the boat to get here, or some of you want to jump out of the boat and swim here, <laughs> oh, that we would get together and realize the significance of getting off the sea with all that it represents in this passage and coming to shore and saying, let's share this time together that we can renew intimacy, be rejuvenated, and minister one to another and to allow Jesus to minister to us. How does Jesus minister to us? We're going to look at that next week. It's by having other people feed you his sheep. Just because you're your sheep doesn't mean he has to be the one feeding you. He's going to instruct Peter, feed my sheep. So God has placed these amongst us not to, not to be cowboys that sit on a horse high above and drive you. That's not what pastors and teachers are in the church. We are shepherds. You ever try to drive sheep with a horse? No, you drive cattle like that. And we aren't called cattle. We're called sheep. And sheep trust a voice. They trust intimacy. They trust a presence, that they, a smell that they are accustomed to because they've had it every day, sometimes all their life. They've been carried by the shepherd. They've heard that shepherd's voice. And they respond to it. And shepherds walk with their sheep. It's the only way they can really feed them well. So we'll look into that next week. But I want to challenge you and encourage you. This was not just to do something different. I don't believe in manipulating worship that way just to say we did something different. We're just sharing the event with Jesus Christ. And hopefully we'll share the significance of it, not only today, but every day. And let's transform our concept of eating from consuming physical sustenance to this is an act of worship. Not only in the eating of it, but in the preparation of it too, and in the cleanup of it. So if you're complaining anywhere in that spectrum from preparing it to consuming it to cleaning it up you're not worshiping if it's going to be an act of worship you do it before the Lord and the complaining will never be a part of it let's pray Lord God we do thank you for your love for us we thank you for an opportunity to spend some time in your word and in an intimate activity with one another physically, and Lord, a reminder that we each week have a spiritual intimacy with one another. 
And Lord, help us to recognize that it's the work of the evil one to try to steal your word out of the ears and hearts and minds of those who've heard it. As seed that is sown on the wayside. Lord, help us to take measures to guard against that. That our hearts might be fertile soil, well, well prepared, soft to, your, to receive you. That Lord, when we are rebuked, that we respond not by self-defense, but by sorrow and weeping to correct ourselves. It might come into conformity with your word. Lord, we pray that you might be glorified in our midst. To your honor and praise. And in our Lord's name we pray. Amen.